to the Divorce Solutions Podcast, everybody. I'm Jamie West from West Pro Mediation and Consulting, along with Tracy Miller from Miller Law and Mediation. Tracy, this is a very special day today. How, how so? We just hit number 50. Today is our oh, 50th did we? episode. Yeah, it's our 50th anniversary. <laughs> that, that's, that's longer than most people will ever be married, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. I didn't realize it was 50. Yeah, so we've uh, we've hit that landmark of of fifty episodes, and uh, so it seems appropriate today that we're going to be talking about so, or really continuing the conversation that we had last time about financial matters, in particular real estate. And uh, I'll let you take it from there and uh, introduce our our uh, terrific guest that we have today. Sure. Um, the idea behind this podcast uh, today was I think there's an awful lot of cases. In fact, the majority of them where People are trying to figure out when they separate, what do I do with the house? Can I buy it out? Do I have to sell it? Can I finance it? There's so many questions, and I think it you know, it causes people a lot of stress about it. Some people just uh, want to keep the house. They want to keep it because they want to keep their kids in the same school. There's a whole host of reasons they've got. But the last podcast we did, we had somebody on to figure out uh, how you get an opinion of value. And today we have a mortgage broker on. We've got Julie Brenman on, and we are going to talk about what are, what are the first steps. Like, if you want to figure out, can I keep this place, or you know, am I going to be able to afford it? How do I navigate that? Um, I think people just need, as a starting point, to know, you know, what do you do with it? So, hi, Julie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Now that I know it's our 50th, um, I, I wasn't aware of that. So it's a yeah, good day. I feel special. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the party, the big anniversary party. All right. I'll pour myself a glass of wine. Oh, please do. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and we'll have one too. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you can start by just explaining, you know, what a mortgage broker does. Because I, you know, I think a lot of people don't really know. And then we can take it from there in terms of from this time somebody separates how do they figure out if they can keep the house or not? Uh, for sure. So a mortgage broker basically represents the client in trying to find the best mortgage solutions for them. Um, we have lots of lenders that we can use, including major banks. We also have lenders that um, they don't have bank branches that can offer little different solutions, maybe some lower rates because they don't have as high overhead. Um, we have private lenders as well. So just some more um, opportunities to maybe look for other financing if your client is not qualifying at their major bank branch. Um, you know, there's always a few gray areas, um, not quite as black and white. Um, and then we do have the access to the banks as well if uh, the client needs it. So so that's kind of how we help people that are going through this situation. A lot of times we need to do some creative financing to make it qualify, especially in today's rate market. So that's kind of what I do. And um, generally, you know, if we're using a regular lender, then the lenders pay us to do that work. If we are using an alternative lender, so maybe you don't qualify at the banks and we have to do some um, financing with other lenders, maybe that short term, then sometimes we would charge a broker fee as well. So every, every brokerage is different, but most of them charge uh, some sort of fee. Julie, who wouldn't, who wouldn't qualify at one of the big banks? And, and a secondary question would be, why should anybody begin with the big banks? Why shouldn't they start with a mortgage broker? Yeah, I was just thinking that there too. There you go. 
Well, it really depends on the situation. Like if somebody calls me for a spousal buyout um, or says that they're separating, we always look at the lender that they're with first. Um, if it's a big bank or if it's, you know, one of the lenders that we've placed them with, we always look to see if they qualify internally with that lender because that's going to save them any fees of having to break the mortgage um, or penalties for doing that. So I always suggest that they start there and apply with their current lender um, unless the mortgage is up for renewal or they want to add some money to it. And then if you know, that's the case, then I would kind of step in and I could use, um, you know, instead of sending it to just one lender, you know, once if they said no, I would basically have backup lenders that I could send it to so that they're not having to get their credit pulled, you know, 30 times when they walk into 30 lenders, right? Because I always think anytime, anytime you have to deal with big banks or financers, especially mortgage, you just kind of go, oh, God, here we go. Um, and, it, and it always, I find it, it always seems to be complicated, right? So is it a, I guess what I'm thinking, is it a simpler option for people to just go call you and go, hi, Julie, I want to know if I qualify, can you figure it out? And then they don't have to start trying to sift through the paperwork with their own bank or their own lender? Yeah, well, you know, I'm always open to running the numbers. Like I generally would know what they would qualify for at a bank level and how the bank qualifies them. So, you know, we, we can always do a soft application that, that kind of tells them like, you know, is there a hope of getting this with your bank? And if it looks like there is, then I would at that point say, you know, it looks like you should be okay. Connect with your bank. If you have issues, please let me know and I'll jump back in. Um, but you know, a lot of people aren't qualifying with their bank because they have to qualify. They have to completely requalify, right? So it's, yep. you know, initially they would have qualified on two incomes and now they're only qualifying on one. Maybe they have to pay some support to that partner. So there's a lot of different factors and there's a lot of different things in the application that would have changed. A lot of people think that as soon as they separate, well, I paid the mortgage as agreed to this point. But unfortunately, you have to requalify if, if there's any title changes. Um, so that can be a problem, and that's when we would step in and, you know, look at alternative options for them. So once do again, you also, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Tracy. Jamie, go ahead. <laughs> okay, what I was like, going to say is, it, is it better then for people to do their homework ahead of time before they perhaps even, you know, go to hire a lawyer or look into uh, mediation, um, would it be better for them to be calling you, for example, and, and getting that financial information just in their pocket, just, just to educate themselves a little bit uh, before they move into the formal steps of actually getting separated and divorced? Yes, absolutely. I, I believe that it should be the first step because oftentimes, and I'm sure um, you guys can can probably um, agree with me that people will come to you and say, okay, I plan on keeping the house. Well, mm -hmm. that's great that you write that in an agreement or, you know, I plan on taking over this car loan or whatever. But if you don't know if you qualify, it's, you know, if you can't actually you know, exercise that separation agreement if, if you're not qualifying for the actual thing that you're, you're putting in it, right? So, so yeah, I think, I think definitely looking at the financial piece first is the most important thing, you know, connect with your accountants, connect with your 
mortgage broker, bank, whatever you need to do to, to kind of know where you're at financially and what you qualify for to begin with. Um, sometimes you might need a co-center to put on there too. So, you know, that's something that you might have to have the conversation with a family member um, to do that as well. Yeah, I think it, I was just going to say something similar to that. I think, you know, when I see people initially and if they, one of the things you're going to ask is, okay, so what do you want to do with the matrimonial home? or other properties they have. And a lot of times people say, well, I'd like to keep it if it's financially possible. And they don't have a clue. Um, and I don't say that to be critical. It's just they really don't, right? If you, I saw one the other day where it was, even if she bought out half of them, she was going to have an $850,000 mortgage to do it. And you think, you know, if you had had a conversation with somebody initially about, okay, here's what my existing mortgage is, ballpark what I think the house is worth, um, maybe that's a really good starting point is having a conversation. Okay, if you want to take over that a mortgage that size, I don't know, do you tell them, I mean, this is what it's going to cost you a month? Or do you tell them, I can't imagine that you're going to qualify? Or what's the conversation? Well, I mean, usually we run the numbers. But um, even before we do that, I, I let them know that this is your best case scenario payment right? Your worst case scenario payment would be this, your best case scenario would be this, you know, and if they are looking at the best case scenario and going, okay, I can't afford that, then, you know, we have to look at something different. Like maybe they should sell the house and buy something smaller, you know, especially if it's only them, you know, like not everybody needs a million dollar house, right? So, um, or maybe just renting until they get back on their feet. A lot, we see a lot of people that, they don't have everything worked out yet, so they're renting for a year and then, you know, looking at houses later on um, and just kind of sitting on the money that they get from from the sale of the, the property. I think in a lot of cases, that is such a smart idea, right? When you're in the middle of a separation and everything's up in the air and every, your whole world's turned upside down, maybe you want to give yourself some time and space to figure out what your yeah, next steps are going to be. I agree with you. I agree with you. And it is... Unfortunately, the rental market isn't ideal either right mm -hmm. now. But I mean, the emotional state that people are in a lot of times, um, it's difficult for them to make the sound decisions. And like, is this really what I want? Or, you know, maybe I've seen a lot of times what we're seeing is people are, you know, maybe having a, a new partner step in. And because they don't qualify, they're getting a home together because neither one of them can, quali can qualify on their own or they can't afford the payment on their own. And, you know, in a new relationship, you know, when they don't essentially know the person that yeah. well, yeah. it can be difficult, right? Finances are the biggest source of, you know, contention in relationships sometimes, like, because it's, it's you know, something that can be... A, a very big issue in a marriage. Well, right? and, and and you magnify that. You mentioned emotion, Julia, to the you know nail on the head. Um, you can magnify that by ten. Um, on the other end, like you you talk about you know the the emotion and the intensity of a major uh, you know purchase if if you're doing that with another partner to make it work. And as you said earlier, you know people are very tied to their homes uh, emotionally, and they're very. And they're going through an upsetting time. They've, they've lost hopes and dreams with the loss of the marriage. It's like a death. And um, often the home symbolizes and represents the, the biggest emotional tie they have to the marriage. So it can't be understated how, 
how affected people are um, by perhaps the news that, hey, you know, this probably this may or may not work out for you financially. Uh, you may have to look at alternative lending schemes. You may have to look at renting versus buying. You know, a lot of people just aren't ready for that at yeah. all, sadly. A hundred percent. And it's also very important to note, too, that once your client client gets into the, the state where they know what they can afford or they've decided what they want to do, that, you know, the, the other partner is on board with that and is willing to sign a separation agreement. Um, because, you know, oftentimes people will come in and they'll say, okay, well, what have you decided? And they'll say, we're still in negotiations, but I need to know this in order to do my separation agreement. Um, and then, you know, we get to the end of the road and the spouse won't sign that separation agreement. That can be a real problem. You know, we might end up having to do private financing or maybe, you know, the deal might fall apart, um, you know, and, and then legal action happens because of the fact that they've now, you know, went firm on a, another property um, and they can't close on it because the, the partner won't sign anything. That really goes back to, I think, what is a really common issue with people is, they just want to get it done. They just want to get it over with. And especially if it's, well, I guess in a lot of separations, they just want to be able to move on. But you can re make some really bad decisions if you're in too big of a hurry and you don't have enough information uh, to make those decisions, right? Like if you have people that want to do um, the DIY separation and decide who's going to keep the house and how they're going to do that, you think, I hope you've you know, went to somebody ahead of time like you to find out whether this is even in the cards or how much are your payments going to be? Or, you know, like you said, with the new person, if you're going to have your new, your new partner who you've only briefly been in a relationship involved in the new property, you know, maybe you want to tread lightly there or make sure you have a cohab, have something um, in case it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go. Good point. Have a cohab. That's oh, yeah. cohabitation agreement, uh, you know, very important. Uh, and, and again, it ties to the theme of, of where we came in here with Julie, which is educating yourself ahead of time. Getting as much information ahead of time is not a bad thing. In fact, yeah. it's a great thing to do. Educate yourself uh, about what, you know, could be uh, the scenario that you're facing. Um, a lot of people, though, are afraid, right? They're afraid to, to uh, face it. They want to hand it all over. They want to hand it over to the lawyers. They want to hand it over to the real estate people. Um, not a good idea. You, you've got to retain some of your own energy and power cognitively. Probably the most important time in your life to do that. Yeah. It's also important to like to note that when you say that people want to get it done as quickly as possible, a lot of times people will come in and they'll say, okay, well, you know, I'm not paying support. Um, you know, I'm just going to take over the house. I'm not. I'm not going to give her any money or whatever. Like whatever they've agreed internally. Um, you know, because it is an emotional decision. Like maybe one partner, you know, is better with the separation than the other, or one person made the decision and they said, okay, I'm just going to walk away from everything. That's all fine and good to say, but you know, years down the road you know, they realize what they've walked away from and how much, you know, money they put into it. Like, it's always good to ha get a second opinion. And not I'm not saying that I encourage people to, you know, go after money, but money that they're entitled to, definitely, because in, in this market, you need to make sure that, you know, it's fair, and you're not just handing everything over to that that spouse, too. 
Oh, you're exactly right, right? I mean, you the number of times you as when you the number of times you're a family law lawyer and you see people that after a year or two come back and go, I have no idea why I agreed to that. Um, and I think it speaks to people want to get it done. I get that. And they don't want to spend a fortune on legals. I get that too. But you really need to talk to the people who know, who can give you some information before you start making those decisions, right? Exactly. Because yeah. once that spousal buyout is, is done, executed, it will be very difficult to redo it so that you get the equity that you were entitled to in the first place. Julie, the last question, unless Tracy has something else for you after this one, but I, I, I just wonder what the state of the union is right now in the market with people being who got into the housing market at you know record low interest rates, um, have now decided they're going to separate. Maybe they're overextended in a number of ways financially. What's this? What does the you know what does your crystal ball look like for those people? I imagine we're in some pretty perhaps dire times uh, for anybody that's a bit overextended right now. Yeah, well, right now is very stressful for a lot of people, whether they're you know still married to their partner or not. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of people still staying in the properties together. You know, they might be one spouse lives in the basement, one spouse lives upstairs, you know, because that's the only way they can afford it. And, you know, if, especially if they have children, it works the best for them that way. We're also seeing, um, you know, I've been doing a few applications where we have, you know, people that have left their partners moving in together as roommates and purchasing the house together. So maybe friends moving in together just because it makes things a little bit easier. And then we have the people that, you know, they bought the house and it's not worth as much as what they paid for it. So they're basically, you know, selling it. It's There still is, you know, the market's not as bad as what the media portrays it. Like there's most of them still have some equity so they can at least break even if they sell the house. But then they're still left with, you know, maybe a lot of debt and then they're having to go bankrupt or um, consumer proposal or whatever they need to do just to get rid of that. So it, it's not ideal. Um, but you know, people are being creative and, you know, making it work and, or maybe taking second jobs. We see a lot of people doing things like, you know, skip the dishes and, um, those types of things just to kind of, you know, supplement their income. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough going out there. Julie, how do people get a hold of you if they'd like to ask you, uh, for some information? Well, they can get a hold of me by uh, Facebook. We have it's Julie Brenneman Mortgage Architects, or my website is mortgagesbyjulie.ca. I'm happy to have a quick conversation or run some numbers, um, or we can do a full application as well. There you go, Tracy. You want to uh, do the disclaimer this week? Sure, I have it. Fr- I have it in front of me this week, so I'm not guessing like I did last time. Ah, ah, so. You did a great ad lib <laughs> job last time. Give it all you got once from the top with feeling. Here you go. All right, here we go. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended to provide you with legal, accounting, counseling, or therapeutic advice. Every case is different. You need to get your advice from your own lawyer, accountant, and therapist who knows the particular facts of your case. How did I do? I think you did just great. I I, I thought it was fabulous. It was one of your best ever and appropriate. (laughs) A very, very appropriate for a 50th anniversary um, uh, segment. Short and to the point, right? Well, that's always better, I think. Julie, 
Julie Brenneman, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. And uh, we look forward to having you back. Uh, learned a lot today. Really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Right. And thank you, Tracy, as always. And we'll catch you all next time. Okay. Thanks so much. Talk to you later. Great. Thanks.